Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church, virtual church. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Again, every week I do appreciate the notes, the touching base. Uh, Without fail, somebody checks in with with me and and I I realized that I had sort of forgotten about them. So I thank all of you for checking in this week. Uh, it, It really means a lot to me just to know who's out there and who I'm talking to, that there are actually uh, real people out there that are that are following along. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be at verses 6 through 9. We'll probably start in verse 3 just to kind of uh, get, our, get our minds sort of set uh, with where we are in Galatians since we took a week off and covered uh, Acts chapter 15 for, for context last week. Um, as you're turning there... <clears throat> I do have an announcement that you know Isaac Fredericks is led worship today, and it's a it's a bittersweet day. We uh, I'm really excited for him. He is moving to Iowa uh, for you know a relationship, and there's a job also out there for him. So uh, I'm excited for him and his future. I've known him since he was just you know a little kid, and and it's 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 exciting to to see him off. Uh, we're sad for for our loss, but uh, just excited for him and his future and and what is developing there. And so we want to we're going to pray for him when we're live. But uh, you know, his dad thought it would be uh, just a a neat way to send him off uh, by letting him lead worship. And so we uh, we are going to be praying for him and keep him in your prayers as he makes his his journey to Iowa. Just in, in looking at a map, I. You know, I don't think I really realized how far east Iowa is, and so he does have quite the journey. Uh, the weather's going to be a little bit different, obviously, and so we want to keep him in our prayers. Uh, so with that, let's pray, and we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We do pray for Isaac, Lord. We just thank you for him. I thank you for the blessing that he's been in my life. I pray, Father, that you would go before him as he makes his, his journey out to Iowa I pray that you would uh, just just lead him, Lord, as he makes this big step in this uh, kind of leap of faith and new adventure. And, and um, so, Father, we pray that you would lead and guide him. Father, we do ask for the same thing for us now as we turn our attention to the Word. We ask that you would help us, Father, as we work our way through this passage. These these are there's a few just a couple verses here, but. They are, they are packed with so much stuff that we need to understand, things that are critical uh, for our souls and our salvation. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us uh, to understand uh, grace and what Jesus did for us, and so that we would rightly orientate our lives uh, around the gospel and keep things in proper order. And we just ask that you would do a work in our minds and our hearts. We pray that you would uh, free us from just the the bondage of religion and works and trying to do things to get right with you. We thank you that Jesus did it all for us, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read Acts, Acts, Galatians, chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age 
according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For I am now seeking the favor, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so Paul's introduction is, is very different from his, his other writing. Normally in, his, in all of the other epistles that he writes, his his introduction is is very standard. We have the who wrote it, who's it to. Um, there, there's this this general greeting that we have in verses three through five, which we're going to go over. But following verse five and before verse six, in that section, normally Paul would have sort of. A, a prayer of, of gratitude for those that he's writing to, that he takes time. We saw it in Thessalonians, we see it in Ephesians, we see it in Corinthians, and there's all kinds of trouble in Corinthians. And where Paul just says, you know, I thank God for all of you. And he prays a, a, a prayer. In Colossians, it's particularly beautiful. In Colossians 1, verses 9 through 11 or so, it's just a beautiful prayer for them. In Galatians, it's... It's not there. He says what he says, and it's like there's a thought or something that's triggered that Paul just goes for it. And so in light of that, I wanted to sort of go back to and recover some of the same stuff that we uh, looked at two weeks ago in the introduction to Galatians. Now, last week, we uh, looked at the backdrop to what was going on in Acts chapter 15. So we know what happened in the Jerusalem Council which followed the events that we read about here. So we kind of know the outcome, and we know the problem. Uh, But let's look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the standard greeting, we have grace, which is uh, very much the the Roman Greek way to, um, to, to... start a letter. We have peace, which is very Jewish, the word shalom. Uh, these two words in particular within the book of Galatians are, Galatians, Galatians is just rigorously uh, defended. And, and I read this quote from Martin Luther last or two weeks ago that it's just stuck with me. I thought it was a beautiful explanation of what grace and peace are. And Martin Luther writes, Grace releases sin, and peace makes the conscience quiet. The two fiends that torment us are sin 
and conscience. But Christ has vanquished these two monsters and trodden them underfoot, both in this world and in the world to come. And so, provided by the Father, he gives of his Son, and through the Son, we are able to, to have peace with God by his grace alone. And so now he expands on the Son as he talks about the Son who gave us these things, who, who verse 4, who gave himself, Jesus, for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. This is uh, just a, a tremendous verse explaining the gospel that Jesus uh, gave of himself for our sins. He, he came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. Uh, he didn't have to. He went to the cross, and on the cross as an innocent man, the wrath of God was placed upon him, and he became our substitute, it's substitutionary atonement. And so uh, there was this exchange. It, it, it's God's grace makes it available to us. It's actuated in our own lives by faith. And so through faith, we're rescued from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, which we, we commented on a couple weeks ago, that it's God's desire, the Father's will. His, his bent is that you would respond to, to his offer, this invitation to Jesus. He desires for you and me to be saved. And at mention of the Father, verse 5, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. And so he, here Paul is going to transition from this praise to the Father, this worshiping of the Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. He's going to immediately uh, just transition to, 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 I don't know if it's anger is the right word, um, but there's emotion, and he's going to go right at them. Uh, There's no praise of thanksgiving for these recipients. He's going right for the jugular, and he's addressing the issue, and he starts out with this, I am Amazed. This word amazed, it can be translated a couple different ways. Marveled, amazed in the New American Standard. It could be wonder, astonished, surprised. Normally, it's in relation to the things that Jesus is doing. Jesus does a miracle. Jesus teaches. Jesus does something. Those that are there witnessing uh, Jesus's supernatural abilities and teaching their response is this word amazement, uh, marveled, wonder, astonished. They, they don't even know how to respond to the things that they are seeing and witnessing. But in this case, when Paul says he's amazed, this, this isn't a good thing. This is a man who is furious, like he's dumbfounded, he is shocked at these believers. This is a man who was radically transformed by Jesus. He experienced God's grace. He was freed from a system of works uh, that he had devoted his life to, his life to, and he was totally and completely transformed. 
And this became his life calling to share the good news specifically with the Gentiles. And, and now he's done this and their actions have utterly confused him, shocked. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. So the amazement in this section, it's not dealing with the Judaizers. This, that doesn't surprise him. His, his amazement is concerning the individuals who he led to Christ, who they'd responded to the gospel, who they'd heard the message of, of, of truth. And so quickly after his departure, they deserted from the truth. Ultimately, their departure from the gospel was a desertion of, in the New American Center, it says him. And so we have to kind of, we have to follow these, who's the him here? I believe that if we go back to verse 5, the last sort of person that we see is the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, the Father. And so as he's praising the Father for what he's done through Christ, his brain is just like the other file is opened concerning their abandonment of Jesus, their abandonment of the gospel, ultimately deserting the Father. Uh, this word deserting, it could be translated deserting or turning. Uh, John Stott notes that the word means to transfer one's allegiance it was used of soldiers in the army who would fight for the other side or of politicians who would transfer to the other political party. This, this always sort of um, confuses us. Right? And I, like I, I don't want to get political. Like, I, like we live in this era where, where we're politically charged. Um, but I, I definitely have had a, like been involved in a couple conversations, especially for the county of San Diego, uh, of the board of supervisors. The the speaker is Nathan Fletcher, and uh, there's been a number of people like he he was Republican and then he shifted to Democrat, and so I've had conversations or been in conversations where people started talking about him and sort of like the, well, was he a Democrat the whole time or did he change it? Like there's just always this sort of how do, you, how do you have one view and then shift, like for whatever? And it's, they seem so extreme, and it causes sort of a bewilderment. And so when political figures do it, we sort of question, it, like, who are they really? Um, when soldiers do this, there's, there's a punishment that happens. Uh, it, literally capital punishment. You can be executed for, for deserting in this way or, or going to the other team. Uh, Swindoll notes that it implies the complete transfer of allegiance from one thing to another. Like this is a total abandonment from like totally flopping sides. Paul is amazed. His I believe there's anger here. I believe there's frustration. And just this week, uh, if you're doing the chronological Bible reading plan, uh, you would have read the story of 
Moses going up on top of the mountain and speaking with God after you know Israel had made these promises, no matter what God wants, we will follow, we're going to do this, we're committed to the Lord. By the time Moses comes down from the hill, what, what happens? He comes down to the golden calf, and they're worshiping this golden calf, and Moses is furious, and you know, he in his fury he takes the calf and he melts it down and then he makes the the people basically consume him and so here paul is just how so quickly i do think that there's a lesson for new believers like for, for like for those of us who have been walking with the lord and if you have the opportunity to then um, encounter or minister to a young believer or be in the process of somebody giving their life to Christ, I, I think in the early moments, early months, years, until some theological foundation is, is laid that, there is, um, that we have a responsibility to, to nurture them and care for them and make sure that they uh, grow in their understanding of the things of God. And so but Paul's just absolutely shocked at their quickness of deserting the Father that they had by... Abandoning the gospel, they had abandoned God. He speaks of the Father and he continues sort of expanding on this who, who links back to him, just previously, him who, which links back to verse 5. So I believe that we're speaking about the Father who called you by the grace of Christ. And so uh, we have this phrase, uh, by the grace, by the grace, we have of Christ, which is a title for the Messiah. And so the Father has called us by grace, to, to, by the gospel. This is, this is the gospel, that the Messiah came, he gave his life, he made a sacrifice for us. He stood in our place, and they went AWOL. They deserted the gospel for a system of works, even though... The Father had offered them a relationship, this, this becoming justified before Him in good standing by grace alone. Like, why in the world would you abandon it being done for you to you trying to work your way up the ladder with God, which is impossible? It begs the question, like as I've been going through this, it uh, begs the question, what, what, is, what is grace? It's a, it's a term that we so uh, readily throw around. It's a, a term that has been hijacked by a lot of uh, religious groups that would c- try to fall within the banner of, of Christianity. Um, it's my best to, to not really call out these organizations or these groups, um, I obviously I was raised Catholic. I talk about this. We've mentioned that Galatians is this letter that that God used in Martin Luther's life to to basically kick the fire of the Reformation off, which which the the whole Protestant movement uh, out of the Catholic Church was. was I mean, it's that's a that's kind of like a the elephant in the room in this. Um, there are other religious groups too that we could go on. Uh, from the website Got Questions, which is a website I really like. It's theologically sound. They say this, salvation 
by grace means that from first to last, it's undeserved. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, according to Hebrews 12.2. Grace is not God doing 95 or even 99.9% with us making up the difference. Grace is God doing 100% and our humble acceptance of it, recognizing that we are unworthy and have nothing to contribute. That's excellent. We bring nothing to the table. I found a blogger, I think he's a pastor, Stephen Altaraj. I don't know who he is. It's not a commentator. It was a, it was a blog on um, just the internet. And I really liked what this guy had to say concerning grace and its application in our lives. This is what he writes. He says, I come sinful, broken, and needy to God. And he gives me the righteousness of Christ. I don't have anything to offer God. The only thing I contribute to my salvation is my sin. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Drug dealers, church kids, prostitutes, and members of the PTA all get the same deal. Free forgiveness, redemption, and adoption in Christ. It gives me goosebumps to read that. We bring nothing to the table. There is nothing that we can do. Well, what he said is the only thing that we bring to the table in salvation is our sin. That's huge. Jesus has done it all for us. These are great examples of what grace is. We bring nothing to the table. God brings everything. So to back up here, just to sort of reread these little verses so that we kind of get the, the whole, that you are quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not just another account. And so there's this, there's this abandonment that, that here the Father is. He's, as John 3.16 says, that he sent his one and only Son, for you, that he would make payment for you on the cross, that he would be your substitute, he would do it all. This is by grace, it's a gift. There's nothing that you can do. And he's saying that these individuals have deserted this gospel for a different gospel, which is not just another account. So, so it's interesting how our minds work. I can, uh, in this phrase here, for a different gospel, which is not just another account. This phrase takes me back almost, like almost 20 years ago. It's hard to believe that I found myself, who, I don't exactly know the window. It, it was it, like 15 to 20 years ago in that window. Between Bible college and seminary, I, I kind of plowed straight through Bible college and seminary. I did them back to back. And so there there was like a lot of overlap and and uh, I was able to like do undergraduate work and then begin graduate work while I hadn't twi- quite completed. And, and so I, I just had a lot of like 
relationships. And so I don't exactly know where one began, like where I was in, in training. But my good friend, Steve Wright, who's now the, the senior pastor at uh, Calvary Chapel Lake Elsinore, I texted him earlier and said, oh man, I've been thinking about you studying this week. And and so we were in a class, I'm guessing it had to be a homiletics class, which is a preaching class. And it was all, it was really awkward in seminary, so it, like almost as awkward as preaching to the camera. But it was like you stood up in front of the class of, you know, eight to ten guys or whatever it was, and you had to give a little assigned sermon that that you were given. And I and his sermon has always stuck with me. And and he in his sermon dealt with this, this uh this these words different and not just another. So so in the Greek, these are different words. Now the the older commentators would agree with the point that he made. Newer ones would say, well, I think you're, we're digging too hard by making a distinction out of these two words. I, 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 I don't know. I, um, all I know is that the illustration and the point he made has stuck with me. And so his explanation of, so there's these two words, like one means diff, like this different and another, the illustration that he gave was about dessert. So, of course, it like caught my attention. And he said, so the idea of like one word that's not used here is to say, like, I'm going to go back for another. And the implication is like you were just eating apple pie. And so you're going to go back and get another slice of apple pie. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's another of the same kind. Um, uh, the illustration I want to use is that he wants to go back for another of a different kind, meaning like vanilla ice cream, but I know those work together. So it, you'd have to like say like a brownie or something, like a to- like not another slice of pie, not a different flavor of pie, but something in a totally different category. And and so the the point is not that Paul is saying that there's two types of gospels. He's 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 actually saying that there's the gospel and you've abandoned the the true gospel for this other gospel which really isn't the gospel and in fact um, when you mix the gospel of grace with works you totally contaminate it and you 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 ruin everything it's like um, i don't know if you've ever had the experience of it's a it's it's the worst thing ever, uh, and maybe it's just when you have kids or somebody's playing a prank on you that when you are somewhere and there's like a salt shaker and in salt of salt shaker somebody put like sugar, either accidentally or intentionally, and like sugar and salt gets mixed together. And you're putting it in your food and you're like I need more salt. It just doesn't taste right, and and then eventually you can kind of process like, oh, I just ruined my food because this is like a mixture of sugar and salt and I keep putting more thinking like and and so the salt and sugar mixed together in a salt shaker, it, it ruins it ruins both. Like like the the salt is contaminated and the sugar is contaminated and there's no way to like undo it. And so what they have done by following after these false teachers who said, yeah, the gospel's great and everything, but you need to do these things if you want to be saved. Just sort of reflecting last week on Acts chapter 15. 
where they said, unless you do these things, you cannot be saved. And so they thought, oh, these guys are really religious. They certainly know what they're talking about. Like, maybe they're right. And the case they're making against Paul is true. And so they abandoned this gospel of grace that, that Paul had shared with them. And they left that team. They deserted it. No, no desert, desert, not desert, deserted, uh, not to make light of the illustration of the pie. They went to another gospel. This, uh, this Jesus died and then plus works, and then you'll be okay with God. Uh, he said, this is, you've abandoned God. You've abandoned the Father who has called you by grace who has done it all. This is glorious. This is wonderful. You should be worshiping and thanking him for what he has done on your behalf. But what you do is you turned your back on him and you are doing it this other way that isn't a way that's endorsed by him at all. Later in Galatians, he would say that you, Galatians 5.4, that if you do, let me just go click over here, click over here, um, You have been severed from Christ. You who are trying to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. That if you do this, you're severed from Christ. You're wasting your time. He goes on to say, but there are some, this some, these individuals, we have to kind of follow the, the flow of, of like, who is he talking about? There are some, this is the Judaizers that are brought up, the Pharisees in Acts chapter 15, who are disturbing or troubling you. Those in Galatia who had given their lives to Christ, these individuals who are adding this, uh, the gospel plus works, this information was troubling to the recipients and they and want to distort the gospel of Christ. They're the ones who said you cannot be saved unless. To be an individual who has responded to the gospel of grace, what Jesus has laid out before us on the cross, to respond to that by faith alone, to have somebody, a religious leader, come to you and say that's not the case. You're actually condemned before God unless you do these things. That's troubling. That's really disturbing. Like, really should hurt your soul. If you hold and believe that you're not right with God, that's a terrifying thing. And so he's saying these individuals, they've, they've terrified them. They've disturbed them by distorting the gospel of Christ. They, they've altered what God had intended to give, this isn't what they have offered to these young believers in Galatia is not a good or legitimate trade. And why in the world would they take it? Like, why in the world would they think this is a, a good exchange? And that's why Paul is so amazed that they so quickly abandoned this wonderful gift that God has given to them for a system of works which you can never do enough to have assurance that you're okay with God if it's dependent on you. Excuse me, like this is, this is troubling. 
He goes on to say in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Now, there's a lot here. Um, He says, but even if, like, even if Paul, like he's saying, even if I, Paul, down the road change the meaning of the gospel, then then I'm to be accursed. Let's even go beyond me, the Apostle Paul. Even if an angel appears to you and alters the message of the gospel, they'll be accursed. He, he's, he's saying that there nothing can trump or supersede the plain, simple definition of the gospel, which is defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can go over there. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered, this is Paul speaking, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel, that Jesus died for you according to the Scriptures as a payment for your sins. That's, that's, that's it. It's offered to you by grace, not by works. You respond by faith. Sadly, many have distorted the gospel under the banner of even Christianity. We, there, there are Pharisees everywhere. We, we can be guilty of this. Um, there was a book written a few years ago on the title, Accidental Pharisees. It's so easy for us to slip into this system of works that that we think that, that if we do good, then God will love us. The gospel is that God loves you and he died for you. And the good works, according to Ephesians 2.10, flow out of a heart that has been transformed and has received this. So it's, 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 it's out of the spring of reception, not, not to try to earn. There are many who even claimed that an angel spoke to them and so they have come up with Christianity 2.0. Paul gives a gives a harsh warning. He says, accursed. And the word in Greek for accursed is is athema, which it's defined as being devoted to God for destruction. That's severe. This is harsh. But this this isn't Paul flying off the handle in anger. This is a level measured response. Listen to what Swindoll says. He says concerning Paul here, he is deliberate and controlled in his rebuke. Paul's curse is not a slip of the tongue, a brief fit of rage, or a regrettable exaggeration of an emotional preacher. Though he essentially damns false teachers, this language doesn't fall under the category of vulgar cursing either. Paul isn't fiercely shaking his fist at his opponents and shouting, damn you. Rather, he shakes his head and expresses a clear theological fact. Altering the gospel is damnable doctrine. People's 
souls were at stake. For one, to alter the gospel, to to remove grace and to add works, the whole thing is void. And an individual who's trying to do that finds himself condemned before a God because there is nothing they can do. If Paul wasn't clear, he continues in verse 9. As we have said before, even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Again, twice. There is great danger in distorting the word of God. When I look at these religious groups and these organizations, some there are some that are very popular. There are many who have been received under the banner of Christianity. As a person who has been called to teach the word of God, when I read through the New Testament, when I read through the Bible, I see the most severe warnings given to those who have this huge responsibility of, of teaching the word of God and, and is responsible for the souls of those that hear. To distort the gospel is to, to misrepresent God and to, to delude people, to lead them astray. And there's great warning and great damnation for teachers who do this. And I pray that God would keep me close to his word in my teaching, that he would keep me humble, and if I make a mistake, that I would quick to, to repent and to confess and to, and to correct it. I've done this over the years where I, I said something, I misspoke, and like I, it, it, it drove me nuts all week until I could get back to the congregation to say, you know what, I said something and I was off, and this is, this is let me correct what I said because I, I misspoke. So wherever you end up going to church, if this is your church home, my prayer is that this would be a church that would always have a, 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 you know, a humble teacher, pastor that is devoted to the Word of God. As long as I am here, this is, this is my prayer for myself. He's, he's not mincing words, and he's clearly facing attack. As we go into verse 10, he, he's dealing with accusations. He says, for am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? Clearly, these individuals were accusing Paul of being the seeker-friendly pastor. These, these, these condemnations that he's like, oh, he's just a, a believe-easy-ism kind of guy, that cheap grace, that he's just, he's saying all this stuff to you he doesn't really like. He's just trying to get the numbers in the crowds. And Paul's saying, like, am, I, am I seeking the favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I love the second part, the middle part where he says, am I still trying to please people? And Paul says, if I was trying to please people, I would have gone to my old life. When we go, I mean, later in Galatians, we'll see a little bit of his, his, uh, his pedigree. In Philippians, he references his pedigree. Before Paul was a Christian, he had the most like, excellent pedigree. He had all the training. He had all the credentials. He was a rock star, religiously speaking. And he said, if I, if I was trying to please people, I would have held on to my old credentials. But he says, all I want to know is Christ crucified now. I've, I, all of that is rubbish or dumb. He says, I am a bond slave of Christ. 
He is my master. He is the only one that I, that I want to be, to, 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 to please. He's, I, he, I have an audience of one, and it's Jesus. It's huge. So, so what do we do with these four verses? The six, six through ten is really what we covered in the previous. We're just a review. So I come to the so what section, which I try to come to at the end of every message. So what do I do with all of this? You know, Paul ended with his desire uh, to, to live his life in a, in a way that's pleasing to God. I think that's a good place to begin. Uh, my, my prayer is that we, like Paul, would genuinely desire to, to lead lives that are pleasing to God. Th- this, is, this, is a, this is a good thing. Uh, we want to honor God with our lives, with the things that we do, with our works. We, we want to, to, to live pleasing to him. We live in a world where we are swimming upstream. Like to be, to be a Christian, to stand for the Bible, like th- we just live in a day and age where virtually everything the Christian stands for is not politically correct. There's an attack waiting for Christians just to, uh, from about like a- everywhere. Like we, we want and desire to be at peace with all people, not just within the house of God, but, but with, with those that don't know the Lord. Romans twelve eighteen tells us that, that so much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And, and so we're not like looking to be difficult people. We, we want to live our lives that are, that are pleasing to God. We want to we, we live our lives in a way that's uh, at peace with other people, but it can never come at the expense of the gospel. The, the, the Bible makes it clear that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We are all separated from God because of sin. The best person in the world is a vile sinner, and they stand condemned before God. That truth on the depravity of man from the Scriptures is, is terribly offensive to the world. But, but I can't compromise on that theological point because the Bible makes it clear. Now, the Bible also continues that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that's Jesus, that he was nailed to the cross, that the wrath of God was placed upon him, that he went to the grave, he was there for three days, he rose from the grave, and then he ultimately ascended into heaven. He conquered death, and that we can receive this forgiveness through faith in him. It comes by God's grace, activated by faith. Within Christianity, there's... You know, I have deep convictions. I, I like, I recognize that you can be a Christian and you can disagree with me on finer points. I, I try to make the case that, like, when when there are debatable things, that I try to be intentional. Like, I hold this. You might hold a slightly different position. That's okay. We have relationships with other churches that definitely are, are dif- different theologically than me. But but in, but concerning the gospel, the main things, we're in unity. Tim Keller says this, which I thought was very good. He says, 
We can easily make far too little of Christian unity today, focusing on what divides us from fellow believers, which divides us from fellow believers in the gospel rather than on the Lord and Savior who has brought us together. So he says on the, on the, on the one hand, we can easily make uh, too little of Christianity, that, that, that Christians can be bickering amongst insignificant things that, that really aren't, in the grand scope of things, aren't that critical. We're really good at that. But then he goes on to say, but the opposite error is equally dangerous, making too much of unity at the expense of being Christian. And there's a lot of groups that are, that are like this, that, that we want to, you know, coexist. We want to, we're, we're so for unity that we'll compromise on some major issues, some major doctrinal points for the sake of unity. And that's so dangerous that you, you can, you just lose Christianity altogether. The grace of Christ, as Paul writes in Galatians 1 here, or the gospel, it's, it's worth us as a church, it's worth us as individuals to make a stand or worth us fighting for. The gospel, again, by this blogger that I, I thought that paragraph was so powerful that I want to close with it. He says, I come sinful, broken, and needy to God and he gives me the righteousness of Christ. I don't have anything to offer God. The only thing I contribute to my salvation is my own sin. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Drug dealers, church kids, prostitutes, and members of the PTA all get the same deal. Free forgiveness, redemption, and adoption in Christ. We bring nothing to the table other than our sin. Jesus brings everything. This should lead to us with a, with a total and complete desire to, to worship Him in gratitude. It's overwhelming to think that our Creator would do this for us. Paul over in Romans chapter 12, he suggests that our response should be this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's the mercy of God that he's withheld wrath. He's, he's withheld what we deserve. His grace has given us more, everything. This should elicit a response from us, our, our whole lives, everything. And so with that, I, my prayer is that you truly understand the gospel, that you truly have, have responded to this gift, that you've placed your faith in Jesus for salvation. And this isn't license to go sin. This isn't license to, to go uh, get worse so that grace may abound, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. As we receive this grace, we should fall down and worship 
and give God thanks for all that he's done for us, which is everything. And with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died on the cross for us. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what the gospel is, what grace is, that, that truly you have done it all for us. We bring nothing to the table but, but our sin. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to respond in faith, accepting you as Lord, that our lives would be transformed by your work, by your renewing of our minds, by your changing how we think, by your placing your spirit within us. We thank you for doing that for us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be a congregation that stands for grace. We've placed it on the name of our building as Grace Point Church. We ask, God, that you would help us to, to, to rigorously uh, walk in grace and to live out grace in our lives. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you all.